Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze. The one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers. Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. The tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 17 of the Brown County Hour, June 2013. In this episode, we have Jeff Foster, Michael Potts, Gunther Flum, Marvin Parrish, Dave Seastrom, Jim Eagleman, Bill Land, Michael Buby, Susanna Zodi, and Jeff Tryon. We have a special show this time celebrating Brown County Junior High's National Champions of the We the People competition, first in the nation. In this segment, producer Jeff Foster introduces Michael Potts, who describes his involvement in the We the People program. Gunther Flum shares a poem about Flag Day, and we have an interview with local musician Marvin Parrish. This is Jeff Foster with the Brown County Hour with a Brown County Moment of Greatness. On May 6, 2013, 22 students from Brown County Junior High School, led by teacher Michael Potts, defeated all comers in the National We the People Championship Junior High School Division held in Washington, D.C. This non-political competition evaluates students' knowledge and comprehension of the inner workings of our nation's seminal document, the U.S. Constitution. Think of it as a civics class on steroids, requiring not merely sufficient memorization skills to pass a midterm exam, but instead a thorough institutional knowledge of the founding legal precepts of our nation. This knowledge, in turn, empowers students to enter into debate in simulated congressional hearings, testifying as constitutional experts before a panel of judges. Frankly, the Brown County Junior High demonstrated superior knowledge of the Constitution on a national scale came as no great surprise to most of us. Our schools do a good job, and Michael Potts is an exemplary teacher with an obvious talent for inspiring his students. But he also enjoyed an advantage with these particular kids. Brown Countians, while running the political gamut, as you might expect, from liberal to conservative, are generally speaking more what you might call common sense centrist, leaning not so much left or right, but rather aspiring upwards towards individual freedom. You know, the sort of responsible, do-no-harm personal liberty combined with a constrained central government that the U.S. Constitution for the first time in history attempted to codify into law. Perhaps this locally prevailing political tendency is a manifestation of the strong artistic independent sensibilities that have always defined this community. Or maybe it's something in the water. In any event, it would naturally follow that the values of the elders be passed down to future generations. In these parts, young and old alike tend to honor and value history. It was just such a group of students, under the guidance of just such a teacher, that enabled these young patriots to experience their moment of greatness in the nation's capital. And for the shining example they have set for us all, 
we're mighty proud of them. Shortly after the victory in Washington, D.C., Michael Potts made a presentation to the Brown County League of Women Voters, and Pam Rader was there to capture his words. Here they are. It is no accident that our founding fathers believed that the promotion of civic education and civic engagement to be the highest importance, um, and that if a republic were to stand, it would stand only on the foundations of the idea of civic education. Uh, now, my invitation to speak with you is due in part to my connection to We the People. In fact, it's probably the only connection, the, the only reason. Then uh, that's a class that I know all of you have been hearing so much about. This is a class that promotes civic education, and, and I am as committed to it as each of you. The tyranny of a prince, wrote the French philosopher Montesquieu, is not so dangerous to the public welfare as the apathy of a citizen in a democracy. I think it could be little argued that in today's society, America's citizenry is growing largely apathetic. The United States has less than 50% voter turnout in off-year elections. In 2011, the Indiana Civic Health Index reported that our own state, here in Indiana, ranks 48th in voter turnout. I don't need to tell you that that's 48 out of 50. We know that, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. As a civically minded citizen, I am not satisfied I'm not satisfied when most Americans could name the remaining contestants on American Idol before they could name their own state's two senators. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. Uh, but what has caused such apathy? Because it is growing. Some may point to Vietnam or the Watergate scandal as the watershed moments when Americans began mistrusting their governments. Some may argue that it's purely a generational thing, that young Americans are too self-absorbed. Some, perhaps, may emphasize their rights to the detriment of their responsibilities. And they think, I have a right not to do it, I won't do it. Still others believe that their voices wouldn't be heard even if they tried. And the gridlock. The gridlock in Washington is certainly not inspiring anyone to civically engagement. While there is certainly cause for alarm and disheartenment, I can say that I am calm and heartened. For over the, the past four years, I have seen groups of eighth graders grow to understand the history of this nation and to acquire the tools needed to help form a more perfect union. More importantly, through the We the People program, they have been motivated to use those tools. The We the People, the Citizen and the Constitution program is designed to promote civic competency and responsibility among elementary and secondary students through in-depth study of our nation's founding documents and their constitutional principles, as well as relevant court cases and current events. The program enjoys active support from state bar associations and foundations, as well as educational, professional, and community organizations from across the nation. Since the inception of the program in 1987, more than 30 million students and 90,000 educators have participated nationwide. Every year, each class is divided into six groups based on the six units of the We the People Middle School textbook. Each group becomes constitutional experts in their fields of study and prepares three opening statements in efforts to effectively answer questions concerning the Constitution and civic participation. Each December, the We the People class culminates at the We the People State Finals where students testify in simulated congressional hearings before panels of volunteer judges from the legal community. Each hearing begins with a four-minute opening statement by students 
and is followed by a six-minute period of follow-up questions during which judges probe students' depth of knowledge, understanding, and their ability to apply constitutional principles. As you all know, this year was a bit different. This year, for at least us, culminated at the inaugural We the People Middle School National Finals. Our trip to Washington, D.C. was a trip of a lifetime. For these kids to see the institutions and documents they have been studying all year was certainly remarkable. And the fact that they had the opportunity to perform and compete on a national stage to prove that they know how a government works and how to make a difference only reaffirmed their wish to make that difference. While America is growing apathetic in terms of civic participation, it's programs like We the People and others across the nation which will stunt that growth. It is through programs like We the People that our kids should be taught that there doesn't need to, or have to be gridlock or partisanship in Washington or in our state houses. It should encourage them to watch more than one news broadcast or read more than one newspaper. When I grew up, when each of you grew up, it seemed that people watched the news and tuned into news broadcasts to learn about the day's events. Today it seems that they're only trying to reinforce their pre-existing ideas. And we need, I think, to get beyond that. Through We the People, my students learned that a vocal minority will trump a silent majority. That if you sit home and don't care about what goes on, those people who do care will make all of the progress, regardless if the progress is for the benefit of the majority. My students learned that our representatives are elected to represent us, and that if we allow them to do what they want to do, they will do just that, what they want to do. As I have held my students accountable, my students also know that it is we, the people, who must hold our elected officials accountable. And they have learned how to do so, I hope, I think. Rather than America's youth becoming the Achilles heel of our nation, like so many of us fear, through we, the people, and civic education in general, they have the opportunity to become its backbone. And before I close, I want to say that as proud as I am of the achievements that we've made, of the two competition wins, the state and national. My biggest accomplishment this year, at least in terms of, of academic and in the classroom, is having had the opportunity to lead our nation's leaders. Happy Flag Day to us. Waving flags is so much fun, it's done by almost everyone. From very young to very old, from faint of heart to very bold, why anyone who likes to brag will do it proudly with a flag. Around the world you will find different flags of every kind, different colors, lines and bars, suns and planets, moons and stars, woven on a field of color, each one different than the other, and every one like all the rest, for every country is the best, as each one has a celebration, waving flags across their nation, claiming in their mirth and fun, their colored flag's the only one. And off to war, men wave it proud, then wear it as a burial shroud. But in between on holidays, they wave it with a fervent craze as they march and they parade with that colored flag they made, telling others to beware, that's our flag we planted there, and on this ground and sacred lands, we believe for what it stands. Now in our flag, there's 50 stars and 13 striped and colored bars, and in that pattern lies a tale of how our freedom did prevail, and liberty and justice too we hold dearly when we view a flag we fought for through the years that brought us joy and sometimes tears. 
Yell all of us with every wave. Say, see this flag, we're not a slave. Those colors mean for you and me, whatever color, we're all free. Have a happy flag day. This is Jeff Foster here with the Brown County Hour, and our musical guest this month is Marvin Parrish. Marvin, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. We're going to feature music from a couple of your CDs here in this episode. But first, how did you get into music? Well, I grew up around a lot of music. My my house was filled with it. I had uh, I'm the youngest of six, and four sisters and a brother, and everyone listened to different music. You know, in every room of the house, there was music going on. And plus, my dad had a massive record collection, consisted of everything from really old 20s blues to, you know, to uh, 50s and 60s and 70s rock. So so I had a, a wealth of different influences as I was growing up. So, And I just had to play. It was something that was inside me. You know, I, I started playing guitar, I think, when I was 13. And you started songwriting probably not long after that, did you? Yeah, uh, I think I was um, I was a late bloomer with songwriting. I, I I wrote songs off and on, but I didn't really get serious about it or have the confidence until I was probably in my late twenties and early thirties that I really started concentrating on it. Most of the stuff that I wrote before then, I kind of threw away. I had to get all the bad songs out of the way. Hopefully, where are you from originally? Uh, originally from the east side of Indianapolis. When did you come to Brown County? I had been coming here um, off and on since I was a kid, you know, for visiting. But I moved to Brown County in 2008. I'd wanted to move here for a long time. I just had an opportunity to do it. And I was kind of in a transitional mode anyway. So it seemed a logical thing and the place opened up. <laughs> so just all kind of happened by chance, really. Now, I know uh, you're good friends with uh, one of our local characters, John Franz. Oh, yeah. And uh, for those of you uh, out there who don't know about John France, he was a street musician in, in uh, Nashville for years and years and years. He's uh, kind of retired from that now. But, uh, but his life has been uh, commemorated by Marvin in a, in a tune that uh, is called John France. Could you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, um, it's just a tribute to him. I mean, I don't, um, I don't go into extent about his whole life, but really just my experience of him coming here. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I saw him on the corner. And, you know, as I was a kid riding by in the car, you know, I was like, oh, I wonder if that guy's going to be here. I wonder if the guy with the beard's going to be on the corner playing. And sure enough, he most of the time he would be. And then when I moved down here, I got the I, I had the privilege of getting to know him and sitting next to him and having a lot of conversations. And it, it was just a joy. He's such a he's such an interesting character. There's a man with a long white beard Sitting on the artist's corner Singing songs to people walking around Broken strings tied back together On his old beat-up guitar They're all rusted but they still make a sound All the guests of Little Nashville As they stroll around the shops They sometimes stop to listen for a while some even dropped some money down into his little basket Just to thank him for making him smile When I'm passing by and see him strumming out 
want a song I want to park myself right there and stay all day long Play a song for me, John Franz Play a song for me Well, he's been on this very spot For over 30 years now Giving folks their Brown County serenade Counting up his tips Making sure the IRS Gets their cut out of the money that he's made In the scorching heat of summer Or the cold of December He's out there giving all he's got to give And such a wisdom hides behind that simple exterior You can tell the man has really lived I sat next to him at the ordinary to have a brew He's one of the most fascinating cats I ever knew Play a song for me, John Franz Play a song for me We'll be right back after station identification. Welcome back to the Brown County Hour. 
In this segment, we have a story from Dave Seastrom, Nature from Jim Eagleman, The Legend of Browning Mountain with Bill Land, and a song from Marvin Parrish. Hello, this is Dave Seastrom with the Brown County Hour. Here in Brown County, we live in a world where there is considerably more outside than inside. In other words, the ratio of interior space versus the great outdoors is overwhelmingly in favor of exterior living. I think it's fair to say if you live in a city, the opposite is true. And more often than not, inside is where most things happen. There's no doubt that in Brown County, most of whatever we do is outside. And maybe that's why we live here. When our eyes sweep across the horizon, it's not the hand of man that catches our gaze. It's unadulterated nature that greets us. The rich landscape we encounter is mostly unchanged from the view our predecessors knew. Rising on the thermals, a host of raptors circling above us fill the uninterrupted blue sky with their easy circling motion, inviting our imagination to soar along with them. Likewise, our night sky is filled with stars, and we are treated to darkness, the kind of darkness that's embracing and makes it easy to fall asleep at night. The air is filled with the songs of life, sweet in its sound, as every manner of being gives voice to the immediacy of living. From the very first peepers of spring to the lonely call of the owl in winter, the ever-changing chorus sings one melody in a thousand different voices. When living in such a world, there's no need to plan outside activities because almost everything we're already doing revolves around being outside, and there is so much to do. For some of us, a hike in the woods is a perfect way to see the land, breathe the air, and get some exercise along the way. For others, there's nothing finer than dipping a line and taking home a nice mess of bluegill. Folks come here from miles around to ride their mountain bikes. We may not have mountains, but compared to the flatlands, our hills come pretty close. So whether it's a morning in the garden or a fine afternoon on the lake, it's all here to be enjoyed. One of my favorite outdoor activities is kayaking. I don't believe I even set eyes on an actual kayak until I was in my 20s. We don't hunt whale here, and consequently, we're not exactly part of the kayak culture. I remember the first time I saw one in the flesh and thinking, that thing looks kind of tippy. But once I made the change from canoe to kayak, there was no going back. For many of us, this is the ultimate personal watercraft. Sleek and quiet, the shallow draft allows the kayak access to some of our most secluded water. And more often than not, this is where the action is. Leaving the ski boats and pontoons behind, paddling into the skinny water where jet skis dare not go, it's you and your vessel, powered by your own hands. A sense of freedom settles in, and surrounded by nature, you become part of it all. Because you're making very little noise, you can creep up on the birds and the waterfowl without scaring them off. Quietly making your way along the shore, it's easy to observe the fish spawning or see the birds on the nest. It's as if you're just another water being, and everyone goes about their affairs without paying much attention to you. Kayaks are also the perfect craft for our little streams. Fast and responsive, they take to these waters like a sports car. Because my kayak is made from plastic, hitting sand or rocks hardly matters, and mud is easily washed off when the trip is concluded. My darling wife was always a canoe kind of gal, but all that changed with one trip in a kayak. For most ladies, their part of canoeing is sitting in the front. This is rather like the chick on the back of the bike. You're along for the ride, but you're not the one deciding where to go. 
When you are in your own personal boat, all decisions are yours to make, and folks instantly take to it. It matters not how you enjoy the great outdoors. With so many choices, there's always something available to put a smile on your face, a spring in your step, and some joy in your heart. And it's all outside waiting for us to get out there and enjoy it. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Hello, this is Jim Eagleman, naturalist at Brown County State Park. Um, on another segment of Nature News on WFHB-FM. Hoping that the listeners so far have enjoyed our talks and our, our um, programs in the past. We've had some people call in on some questions and answers, so that's great. Always glad to get the feedback from the local community on nature questions and plants that are blooming, questions about wildlife, problems around the home with wildlife, and um, the natural resources here in Indiana as managed by the Department of Natural Resources. Some of you have been to the Nature Center and um, have enjoyed our program so far. With me today is my guest, Cassie Norman. Cassie's a recent employee of the Nature Center. Welcome, Cassie. Hi, Jim. Good to have you with us. Thank you, it's good to be with you. Please tell us a little bit about Cassie Norman. Where are you from, what you studied in school? We're glad to have you with us, but maybe the folks would like to learn a little bit about your, your training and your credentials. Well, I'm from Jackson County, and I just graduated from Purdue University. I studied wildlife biology, and there I learned a lot about native plants to Indiana and wildlife that's here and the history of how the wildlife and things in Indiana came to be. I worked at a zoo and done some programs with zoo animals, teaching people about them, and now I'm hoping to teach people a little bit more about the natural resources we have here in Indiana. Very good. Okay, so your major was wildlife. Did you have a minor at Purdue? No, I took a lot of plant classes, but not enough to minor in mm -hmm. botany or horticulture. They always say um, a good biologist is also a good botanist. Yeah. Would you agree to that? I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. We need to know a little bit about the plant community, where animals live, and how they nest, and go about feeding and mating and such. So here in southern Indiana, we hope you can, uh, you can apply some of your training that you got at Purdue. Gonna try to. What's, uh, <clears throat> what, tell us what your main um, job requirement is at the Nature Center. Mainly, I try to put on programs to teach people about what we have within the park, the resources we have to offer, and things that they can encounter while they're here and hopefully get them to appreciate nature and get outside and explore and find things that we find interesting, interesting to them as well. Okay, so as an educator, you present perhaps complicated things in nature, would you say, in an uncomplicated way? I try to. Mm -hmm. So as an interpreter then, I mean, we hear that term applied to our job, interpretive naturalist, uh, and we're interpreters, and some people always confuse that with, say, interpreters at the United Nations, where they're interpreting a foreign language. And um, I, I would hate to think that nature to some people is a foreign language, but maybe it is. So your job then is to take these complex relationships in nature and relate it to uh, visitors who can uh, appreciate it more. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what programs have you presented so far at the Nature Center, Cassie, that the listeners would like to know about and, and perhaps uh, come and, and uh, partake of them? So far I've done a program about deer which I found really interesting. A lot of people don't realize deer are so abundant and they used to, they were extirpated from Indiana. So a lot of people don't know that at one point in time, we didn't have deer here. 
I done a plant hike and just tried to identify some plants within the forest community and talk about the different layers of the forest and what roles each plant has from an herbaceous plant to a shrub to trees. I've talked about amphibians, frog life cycles, and showed them some tadpoles and salamander larvae. And I'm going to do a reptile talk today. People seem to be squeamish when it comes to snakes, so I'm hoping to get them a little more familiar with them and less afraid. So I plan on doing a variety of talks throughout my time here. Very good. <clears throat> and how would people find out about the program listing, Cassie? Well, we have schedules posted all throughout the park within the Nature Center. They can view it online, or they can even call in and ask us what we have to offer. It's www.interpretiveservices.in.gov. And if they click on Brown County, then they can pull up the Brown County Interpretive Calendar for the whole month. And your programs and your coworker Katie Kogler's programs are on there, and also staff members Don Glass and Bob Welch also provide programs. So, what's your favorite program so far, or do you have one? I kind of like them all so far. I really like the amphibians. Anything with snakes is usually a big hit, so that'll be fun too. Very good. Well, that gives us a little bit of information about the Nature Center programs going on this summer. Please consider coming by the park and looking for Cassie or Katie, Bob, Don, or me at the Nature Center presenting programs about wildlife, bird life, and plant life here at Brown County State Park in, in Nashville. That's all we have for today for Nature News. This is Jim Eagleman signing off and hoping that you'll tune us in next time. This is Bill Land with the land and the lore of Brown County. We're going to talk about Browning Mountain. Browning Mountain it's way down in southwestern Brown County, a few miles from Story, way back in toward what used to be Elkinsville. There's a mountain there about 910 feet high, and it's a wonderful place to visit. And I was reading quite a bit about the folklore of the area. A gentleman by the name of Lee Irvin, back in 1987, talked a lot about this mysterious and fascinating hill. Browning Hill was once cleared of trees, and folks from nearby Elkinsville used to picnic on top of the hill and pick apples from the apple trees on the side of the hill slope. Once the apples were harvested, they were stored in an old abandoned cabin adjacent to a deep well carved right through the bordered siltstone. Even cows were pastured up and down the hill at one time, and it was quite a scene. The hill itself is about three quarters of a mile in circumference and is now wooded with a perch pond on top. It's a water supply for the people that lived up there near the hill. The most fascinating thing about the hill is the hundreds of pieces of silt stone. These slabs are really unique. The perpendicular sides look like they were carved by some sort of magical equipment. But everybody says it looks at them from one geologist to another. They were naturally formed, two to three foot thick, five to 15 feet long, three to four foot in width. Many of these siltstone slabs are precisely oriented toward the summer and the winter solstice. This is really, really interesting to the people of folklore and people thinking about the fact that this hill might have been inhabited pre-settlement time by the Miami or Shawnee. Perhaps some ceremonies 
were held at the hill, maybe even burial rites, prior to the internment of these Native Americans. A great wall was prominent, four to five feet high, over 100 foot long. This whole wall was removed, though, in 1958, 1959, by a gentleman named Charles Murphy. You can even see where flatbed trucks came up in the loading areas and took a lot of the stone away. So much of Browning Mountain has been changed, but still the mystery and the fascination continues. Rex Waters, who works at the DNR there on Lake Monroe, took several uh, native chiefs during the Sundance up to the top of the hill, and just before they got to the top of the hill, they paused. They started to say prayers, and they went up to the hill and spent four hours, and they confirmed that there must have been a connection between the ancients and those people that were walking up the hill to experience it for the first time. It's been said there are spirits on the mountain that might uh, be a little tough, a little bit hard on the individuals that remove the stone. So those that people that go up there, especially at midnight on the full moon, have to be watchful and wary, certainly not taking anything away from the site, but just leaving a good memory and a few footprints and leaving that side alone. Browning Mountain is one of the most mystical and fascinating places in all of Brown County. It's mostly on private property and has to be approached with great care and, of course, great reverence. It's a sacred place and certainly one of the most visited places by people who really care about this county. And now back to my interview with singer-songwriter Marvin Parrish. Now, when it comes to songwriting, every songwriter has their own approach to things and their motivation for doing it. Could you go into, you know, what, what gets you up in the morning and what inspires you to write a song and how do you go about it? It's really random when it comes to writing a specific song. Sometimes it comes from an idea story-wise. Sometimes you want to write a song around something. Most of the time for me, it comes from musical. It, it comes from a little a melody that I get in my head or something and can't get rid of or or stumbling across something when you're playing guitar. Most of the time it starts with that and then then kind of lyrics come later. But then sometimes it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. It's really random with me. I mean some people have a set process, but really I don't. It just what it just comes when, yeah. when it wants to. Yeah. There's another tune here called The Ballad of Dick Haversham. Could you give us a little backstory on that one? Yes, uh, that's on Brown County Serenade Volume 2. And when I was recording Volume 1, I was around guys from the Lazy River Band who backed me up on that record. And I had borrowed a banjo from a friend of mine to play on another tune off of that CD. And we were just sitting around, and I was plucking around the banjo, and it just happened like that. It just came up with a kind of a rhythm there. Then from there, uh, you think about what kind of story you want, and... I was like, this should be about a guitar player, the greatest guitar player in the world that no one ever heard of, you know, because of circumstances, you know. So you start out with that premise, and then that's how it came. And it, it's become a favorite with uh, people here in Brown County, especially my the crowd that usually comes to see me. That's that's one of their favorites. Dick Havisham was a really strange kid. He never played baseball like the others did. He just sat in the corner staring at. And his mama couldn't make any sense of it all No, his mama couldn't make any sense of it all She was a simple God-fearing woman Overbearing as she could be Well, she always knew Dick was a little odd 
maker as good as him His daddy was no good drunken bum He was killed in a card game by a gun He left Dick and his mama when Dick was just five He never acknowledged he was even alive No, he never acknowledged he was even alive Behind an old Gibson Dove guitar Was the only thing he ever left Dick at all He was out the door and gone with the wind It was his loss, he'd never see his son again Cause there never was a picker as good as him And there'll never be a picker as good as him Dick played his guitar all day and all night He didn't give a damn if it was wrong or right Playing by he sounded like a whole band He played like he was born with it in his hand Yeah, he played like he was born with it in his hand Well, his mama thought he'd never find himself a job And she called Dick a no-good lazy slob That was just about all that he could stand Out the door he went with his Gibson Dove in his hand He knew there never was a picker as good as him And there'll never be a picker as good as him Dick was laid, they just threw him in an unmarked 
pauper's grave He died before the age of 21 And there was so much music that was left undone So much music that was left undone Another thing no one's really sure of Is what happened to that blood-soaked Gibson dub Whoever has that guitar, they will never know That the strumming on Dick's very soul You know, there never was a picker as good as him And there'll never be a picker as good as him Right back after station identification. Welcome back to the Brown County Hour. This time, we have a fascinating history of popcorn by Michael Buby, Susanna Zodi on the Playhouse, a great tramp star story from Jeff Tryon, and another song from Marvin Parrish. What's the most well-known snack food around? Popcorn. And it's also the theme for the 2013 Indiana State Fair. Hi, this is Mike Buby, self-proclaimed popologist. Popcorn has been around for quite some time. The oldest evidence for the existence of popcorn was found in the Bat Cave of New Mexico back in the late 1940s. Those small ears were estimated to be approximately 4,000 years old. More recently though, popcorn first became popular in the U.S. back in the 1890s. Even during the Depression, street vendors successfully sewed nickel bags of popcorn to make ends meet. Then, during World War II, when sugar was sent overseas, Candy making declined and Americans started eating three times as much popcorn as they had before. This continued until a slump in sales occurred in the early 1950s, only to rebound with the popularity of home TV viewing later that decade. Although popcorn has been popped many different ways, one of today's favorite ways is in the microwave. In the 1990s, annual microwave popcorn sales reached $240 million. Beyond just the butter, popcorn today comes in many different flavors of caramel corn. Then there's Chicago style and kettle corn. No matter how you like it, how about a bowl full for breakfast? 
Nutritionally, it is one of the best all-round snack foods, providing 67% as much protein, 110% as much iron, and as much calcium as an equal amount of beef. An average one and a half ounce serving of popcorn supplies the same energy as two eggs, and a cup of unbuttered popcorn contains less calories than half of a medium grapefruit. Along with that, the hull is excellent roughage comparing favorably with bran flakes or whole wheat toast. Now let's look at popcorn from a scientific view. Popcorn itself pops best when it is around a ten and a quarter percent moisture content. When popcorn is heated, at 212 degrees the water inside turns to steam and the starch becomes a gelatinous goop. While the heat continues to rise at about 347 degrees the internal pressure of the kernel reaches upward to nearly 135 pounds per square inch. It's at this point that the hull bursts and the gooey starch inside expands. As it escapes it immediately cools when contacting the air capturing those individual distinct shapes. Like snowflakes, no two are alike. With a 40 to 1 expansion ratio, two tablespoons of unpopped popcorn equals one quart of popped popcorn. On a less scientific note, annually Americans eat approximately 17 billion quarts of popped popcorn each year. Now when buying popcorn, consumers are most familiar with the yellow, white, and strawberry popcorns. Yellow pops the largest and is the most extensively grown. White is smaller and considered by some to be more tender. The strawberry kind has the smallest ears and kernels of the three and is grown mostly for novelty. But no matter what the color the kernels are, they all pop out white. Another note about yellow popcorn is that it comes in two different seed types. One is called the butterfly type and pops with what are called the little ears or flares on the popped kernel. The other is the mushroom type and pops out maintaining a more round shape with little to no ears or flares. It is this type that is preferred when making caramel corn. Indiana is second only to Nebraska in popcorn production. And although January 19th is National Popcorn Day and October is Popcorn Month, many popcorn festivals occur in September, such as our most local one held in Helmsburg, Indiana at the Jackson Township Fire Department. This year, their fundraising Buckhorn Ear Festival is on September 20th and 21st. It's all about popcorn, pirates, and fire prevention. So pop on in for a fun family time. Well, this is popologist Mike Buby, and I'd sure enjoy a big bowl of popcorn right now. How about you? Oh, and extra butter too, please. This is Pam Rader for the Brown County Hour. I had time to stop by the Brown County Playhouse last week and chat with Susanna Zodi, one of the most active volunteers. As the story goes, early in 1949, Brown County resident uh, A. Jack Rogers, uh, the father of local business person Handy Rogers, got together with uh, Professor Lee Norville, who was director of the University Theater at IU, and they established a nonprofit uh, summer stock theater for the IU Theater Department. The story that I'm told is that the initial purpose of the Playhouse was to do movies. Movies. But when 
the partnership with IU University Theater came along, they decided to do live performances. It's interesting to me because at the Playhouse, we've just raised uh, $65,000 to install brand new digital film equipment with digital surround sound and a 23-foot wide screen. The Brown County Playhouse, the first performance was a play called The Old Soak. <laughs> Uh, back at uh, July 15th in 1949, so we do have a 64-year anniversary uh, coming up this next month. It originally was an open-air barn, and that was the stage, and then there was a large tent for the audience, and the seats were benches that were on gravel. About, um, I believe it was September of 2010, I was attending some sort of function in the county, a community meeting of some kind, and heard for the first time that pretty much without notice that the IU Theater Department uh, had decided not to do their fall season at the Playhouse and that they were finished with the Playhouse and it was an absolute shock because we had already lost the Opry that year. The community was already uh, reeling from that and to hear that after you know 60 some years we were losing the Playhouse, it was, it was devastating. Bob Curland, who was with Brown County Community Foundation, came to me and said, I want to form a nonprofit management group and work with IU to get ownership transferred to the Brown County Community Foundation. We put together a list of multi-talented community business leaders. We established that board. By the end of 2011, we had presented, I think, about five Five shows to you know moderate success but it was hard to get the word out that we were there and reopen in a county that only has one weekly newspaper and no uh, dedicated radio station it's hard to get the word out but we managed the mission if I could put it into just a few words would be quality and diversity and that's the type of programming we were looking for this year we have 88 live performances in our schedule plus the movies, which we hope will start sometime during the month of June and uh, continue on from there. And there will be first-run movies uh, and, and occasionally special events surrounding old classic films. For more information on the Brown County Playhouse and a complete rundown of their summer schedule, visit browncountyplayhouse.org. Hi, I'm Tramp Star. You probably don't know much about me, except if you know about a fella named Carl Wilson, a goat farmer, boxer, and all-around swell guy. Good friend of mine. Well, back in the day, old Carl Wilson used to write up some stuff about the country life such as we used to live here in Brown County, and he'd send it in along with one of my poems up to the Indianapolis Star newspaper, and it would run in the Sunday edition right beside of Frank Hohenberger's Sunday column, Down in the Hills of Brown. I reckon Carl got paid some little something on the whole deal, but I never did see one penny of that money. Carl would publish my stuff under the title Jokes and Jingles from Curly Shingles by Tramp Star. Curly Shingles was the name that he had given his little old cabin. The shingles had all kind of curled up on him. Tramp Star is, well, that's me. Hillman. I would not give the quiet of these hills for all the wonders that the cities hold, or trade one peaceful day their presence fills, for all the world's mad scramble after gold, 
For green hills where the leafy forests wave and sleepy valleys drowsing in the sun have ever held me bound, a willing slave, their need bred in my blood when life begun. I would not give this small white house of mine for any that your towns could offer me or trade one blooming field at evening time for years on end of wealth's security, for tinkling cowbells when the sun has set, the mockingbird's late song, the whippoorwills are things my country heart could not forget if I should lose the quiet of the hills. I would not give the music that I know for any famous orchestra or band or trade one padding foot and scraping bow for all the other music in the land for turkey in the straw and money musk stir memories of half-forgotten thrills, a dance at Wilson's barn, a starlit dusk, and music lying soft among the hills. I would not give one friend I own today for dozens I might gain in some far place or have them chained in any single way in mode of dress or speech or smiling face for I have found them stanch when trouble fell, and kindly as the hills that gave them birth. Nowhere are men that I could love so well in the bright and crowded places of the earth. I would not give these gracious hills I own, my house and blooming fields and winding lane, or one tried friend whom I have always known for any gift of gold or worldly gain, for I have found life's quiet paths are best, a mockingbird at dawn and whippoorwills, calm hours to mark long days, and peaceful rest when darkness closes down upon the hills. And now back to my interview with singer-songwriter Marvin Parrish. We've got um, another tune here we want to play uh, called I've Had Enough. And this is from the first of the Serenade you've got. Yes, Brown County Serenade Volume 1. Just a straight-ahead rocker with the, uh, me being backed up by the Lazy River Band. It's one of those things that you, it's a venting song. <laughs> <laughs> things that you're frustrated with and you just kind of, when you're blessed with having a guitar and a loud amplifier that you can, you know, you can pound out frustration at the same time. Uh, so it's just a song of just me rambling about stuff that I'm sick of. <laughs> That's why God gave us stacks. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I need some resolution. I'm overthinking all this stuff. I've come to the conclusion that I think I've had enough. I've had enough of bad decisions based on someone's bad advice. Of being painted in a corner because I twice I've had enough of venomous women infectious like disease trying so hard to please someone that just cannot be pleased Sure. 
when I know it's time to go My fill of disposable music coming out my radio Celebrity talk on TV that I just don't want to know well, hey, Marvin, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you'll be playing here in the next few weeks, and also don't forget your website. Yes, yes. Uh, first, before I forget, uh, MarvinParishMusic.com, and uh, Parish is spelled with one R. My music's for sale on there, either uh, single downloads or you can buy the album. My full schedule's on there and pictures and videos and everything. So Friday, June 21st, I will be at Shadow Thomas Winery here in Nashville. In Martinsville, in case you're up that far, there's going to be a Whiskey Brothers reunion show at the Firehouse Pub on Saturday, June the 22nd. All that following week from the 24th, June the 24th through the 30th is going to be Indiana Bike Week, go to indianabikeweek.net and there's all the information on that. On Tuesday they have a Brown County night which is all Brown County talent. Frank Jones will be playing, uh, the Indiana Boys, and then I'll be playing again the 29th with the full band, with the Marvin Parish Band. Excellent. Excellent. Well Marvin, thanks again for being with us and this is Jeff Foster for the Brown County Hour on WFHB. The Brown County Hour is an all-volunteer, collaborative radio production emanating from the historic artist colony of Nashville, Indiana, airing on WFHB Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Produced by Jeff Foster, production coordinator Pam Rader, executive producer for WFHB, Allison Bektesh. The Brown County Hour creative team, Rick Fedick, Vera Grubbs, Janice Pierce, and Dave Seastrom. Segment contributors, Mike Buby, Jim Eagleman, and Gunther Flum. Thanks, Slats Klug, for the wonderful music. Our thanks to guests, Michael Potts, Bill Land, Jeff Tryon, Susanna Zodi, and musical guest, Marvin Parrish. You can stream any or all of our past episodes at our website, browncountyhour.com, or at wfhb.org. Mark your calendars for Saturday, August 17th at 5 p.m. for the next Brown County Hour. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.